Hey everybody, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into this episode of the Nerdcast. If you'd like to stay up to date on all things Nerdcast, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Nerdcast one If you'd like to inquire about influencing or joining the discussion, you can send us a message on any of our social media or an email at jrbnerdcast at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Let's get into it. Well, uh, boys, howdy. We back with boys, a, howdy. another episode of the Nerdcast. And it's me, so you know there's Star Wars involved. That's right. That's right. Star Wars, uh, baseball, other things. So, we ready to get into this? I'm ready. All right. Let's, uh, let's get after it. So, um, first order of business, before we take off. Um, want to give a huge shout out to Hopeful Ground Coffee. Um, if you haven't heard, which if you listen to us, you have heard, uh, Hopeful Grounds Coffee Company is up and running. Website's ready to go. You can head on over to hopefulgroundscoffee.com and pick up one of your favorite new flavors of coffee. It's pretty good. Uh, pretty good coffee. And it's fairly cheap, too. And all of the profits given away to uh, nonprofit organizations. So it's a good cause. Uh, so check that out, hopefulgroundscoffee.com. Calm. That's it. So let's uh, let's do this. Let's start talking. So Nick is a big Astros fan. Yes. Uh, he's wearing an Astros hat right now. Uh huh. You can't see that because we're an audio podcast. But I can. Um. But Nick can see. Well, World Series champs hat. He can't see it because it's on his head. I but can. I can see the bill. That's the way peripheral vision works. That's fair. I can see the hat very clearly, all of it. And uh, Nick is a big Astros fan. And if you listen to uh, anything about baseball, if you keep up with baseball at all, you probably have heard um, recently the Cubs were in town and um, a man by the name of Albert Almora Jr., great ball player, by the way, he hit a foul ball and it struck a little girl in the head and she was rushed to the hospital. She's fine. Everything's okay. Um, She ended up being okay. We think that that's not 100% guaranteed, I don't think. But I, I think that we would have heard. Yeah, we would have heard had she not been. Um, and so there's a lot of controversy going around about whether or not the MLB needs to um, extend the netting around their fields and like extend it down. Um, I don't know if the talk was like from the end of the dugout all the way to the foul pole to protect yeah, all of so- those fans. But I do know they're talking about extending the netting. Um, and me and Nick are both huge baseball fans um i'm a huge cardinal fan he's a huge astros fan but we both like baseball in general uh, i mean we'll sit down and we'll watch really any baseball game it doesn't matter if our teams are playing or not and so when people are talking about different things with baseball we obviously we have conversations just amongst the two of us about it and we thought hey why don't we talk about this on the podcast and so we're going to talk about it um yeah so i'm not 100 percent sure what the uh what the discussion has been about but what I personally like, okay. So Anthony Rizzo in an interview after the game, uh, 
said that what he wanted was literally the entire field. Just anywhere that a fan uh, can be field side, there should be a net or a fence or something that keeps them safer. Um, obviously, you can't eliminate all uh, threat from that. I, I found, or I didn't find, I I was at a, a minor league game the other day, and about 14 rows behind home plate, and there was a, a girl sitting like three or four rows in front of in front of me, and a foul ball popped up over the net right behind home plate, and she stood up and just didn't wasn't paying attention, stood up and leaned over to talk to somebody, hit her right in the back of the head, and she got rushed out of the stadium. Mm-hmm. So it's like, in a way, the netting is is always going to be necessary and i do think that you should add more netting because i mean any any way to reduce risk is mm-hmm. a good is a good step but i mean the risk is always going to be there the the best thing to do is to if you could make everybody always be paying attention yeah but that's impossible that's uh that's one argument that i've heard listening to sports radio i don't remember exactly who said it but somebody was like well they should just be paying attention i'm like yeah you're right you you should come to the game to pay attention but at the same time like there are hundreds of other things at the ballpark going on ex- other than just the baseball game. Plus, if you want to be real honest, if if the only people who bought tickets and showed up to the games were the people who were going to pay attention to the games, mm. all sports would die. Yeah, there would not be a Because they out. would make money. There would not be a sellout in any sport. I mean, NFL, NBA, NHL, um, MLS. Yeah, because I mean, the, the vast of majority of people who go to games are there to drink and hang out with their friends like that's just the reality of it i mean obviously that's not true of everybody but the vast majority are unless you're doing something specific like springfield does the springfield cardinals uh christian day yeah where they just invite a bunch of churches up for a super cheap price they do like a dog day where people can bring their dog to the park but the majority of people if they're just on a whim they're gonna go especially to springfield which that's the closest one to us that's why we keep saying it but if if you're going to go to Springfield to a minor league game, it's going to cost you 15 bucks. That's a fun night out. Like even if you don't like baseball particularly, it's a fun night out in, in with your friends. Yeah, I I agree. I think um I definitely think there's a need for more netting just because the reasons we're saying like not everybody that goes to the game is going to be paying attention 100% of the yeah. time. So, I mean the people or the reason that baseball makes money is because of the people that show up to the stadiums. And if right. you can't, if you, I mean, obviously you can't ensure that that's a safe location because I mean, in the world we live in, you can't guarantee that any location is safe, but you should be able to go to that game and feel confident. You won't get hit in the face by a baseball. Right. You know? And I do think <laughs> like, I think there's a lot of merit to that. I, I'm, I err on that side of it. I'm more I'm in favor of having netting, it doesn't matter if it's five foot or 10 foot or however high you want to make it, but netting all the way around the entirety of the field, mm-hmm. um, at the very least foul pole to foul pole. Um, just because, yeah, I mean the, the ball's coming off of the bat over a hundred miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, even if you are paying attention, uh, a lot of people don't have that kind of reaction. Time. Yeah. Like, I mean, there are there are people that grew up playing sports like I mean me and you we could go to a game a ball coming off the bat if it comes over the top of the dugout you know we've got a good enough reaction time we could move or we could you know 
block it from hitting somebody. But there are some people that go to those games that they don't have the reaction time to make that, you know, play on the ball, quote unquote, or get out of the way. You know what I mean? Like it just, it seems to me like the smart thing to do would be to at least add netting from dugouts to foul poles. Yeah. And well, that's what I'm, that's what I mean by that. I think, you know, you go foul pole around home plate back to foul pole. That's the best way to do it. If you're not going to do the whole stadium, Mm -hmm. like if you're not going to put the whole field in a, in essentially this netting, like at least make it safe for the people who are there because yeah, that's a big struggle and that's, like that's a big that's a big risk that people take. I think um personally for me like and again this isn't a hill that I would die on but personally for me if you're going to extend from the I mean most ballparks now have it at least over the top of the dugout. Right. Most ballparks. Uh I know St. Louis does. But if you like if well that's the stadium that I watch well, I'm, the most. I'm <laughs> pretty sure that that's the rule now. Like they Probably. have to have it to the stadium or to the dugout. To me if you're going to extend it from you know, into the dugout to just to the foul pole and leave the outfield open. That's fine because people that sit in the outfield, they want to catch a home run, you know, but yeah, I do. I do think that like, if you do that, then like the people who sit on the front row of the outfield fence, they're paying attention the whole game anyway. Yeah. And they've got plenty of time to react. I say plenty, but they, they've got time to react, but yeah, especially places that you don't have the reaction time absolutely need it. And then, I mean, you can even entertain the thought of going past there. Because mm-hmm. a lot of places just have a bullpen. Yeah. You know, you don't actually even have a a, a spot where people can sit on the outfield. Mm-hmm. You know, that's right up against the fence. So in stadiums like that, I think it makes perfect sense. Because, well, then it just ends up protecting your bullpen guys anyway. Yeah. Or at least like... Uh, and I go back but, to, yeah, you definitely have to have some incentive for those people if yeah. they are sitting in the outfield to, to be able to catch a home run or something. Well, and I think that a lot of people that sit like in the foul territory behind the dugouts, they, you know, they're hoping to catch a foul ball too. Cause like you see little kids with their gloves, you see grown men bring their gloves into the stadium to try and catch a foul ball. And that's great. That's part of baseball. That's part of tradition of baseball. But at, at some point I feel like, you know, Tradition in baseball is a big deal. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Well, I do know for you, when you were in high school, your tradition every game day was to eat a bacon sandwich for lunch, right? My tradition when I was in high school was to wear my right sock inside out. Baseball and tradition is a huge thing. Yeah. But at some yeah. point, it has to, you have to look at the safety of the people that are there, the people that are making you money, and you have to say, okay, we can still have tradition, but we need to at least. We well, need I think to compromise kind of, somewhere. Well, I think and you're kind of like, you're likening it to more superstition because Maybe. That, that's separate. Like superstitions, you can still have all your superstitions that you want. That's the fair. traditions of baseball aren't going to go away if you put up a net. Yeah. The, I, none I of, none of that changes by putting up a net. All, the only thing that changes is that the safety of the fans increases. Yeah. Like the fans can enjoy the game a little bit more relaxed because they don't have to worry about getting hit with the ball for sure. And I think um, I've been to minor league ballparks that even like the netting that's around home plate to protect the people that sit, you know, behind home plate, there's netting that goes from the top of that netting up to the upper deck. So it right. protects, you know, from a All pop-up, pop-up ball up. too, yeah. which I mean, I'm fine with that, but 
again, it kind of takes away from the thrill of catching a foul ball. But, you know, if you can, if, if you can get people to come to the game to watch the game, like you're still, you're still going to have attendance, whether you have nets or not. Right. I think that the big thing with that is that, yeah, a a few people who were there are going to enjoy it a little bit less because they don't have the opportunity to catch a foul ball or something. But for me personally, if I'm if I'm in a situation where I can either catch a foul ball and there's a risk of this girl who's three rows in front of me getting hit in the head and and rushed out of the stadium or there being a net over us and I can't catch the foul ball but there's no way she's getting hit in the head mm-hmm. I'll take the second any day like yeah. I'll I'll pass up on the ability to catch a fly ball if it means that that girl doesn't have to get rushed to the hospital for sure you know I'd- I definitely think that um, I think the MLB. I mean, they've come out and they've said that they're not going to extend the nettings, which I think I think they need to reevaluate it honestly. Like, well, and I, I mean, think I think they'll they'll leave it up to the clubs, and I, I think that their their viewpoint is they don't want to make it a rule. Yeah, I think they want to say if you want to as a franchise do it. If you mm-hmm. don't, we're not going to force you to do it. And that's where I think. Um, I think the MLB maybe not make it like a regulation, but the MLB at least needs to step in a little bit and tell teams like, Hey, you really need to consider this. You yeah. Know? And I, I think that if they don't make it, if they don't make it a rule, which apparently they don't want to, which it, it makes sense that they wouldn't want to make it a rule, but they should at least like, they should do something that's like, Hey, you have to do something to up the safety of the fans. Right. You don't have, it doesn't have to be a net. But there has to be something. Mm-hmm. So whether that's widening your staircases a little bit in the aisles so that you can get a stretcher down there easier or something, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the choice that you make is, is fine. But you have to change, like you have to Im- implement some sort of safety upgrade in a way. Yeah, I think, um, I don't think that they will do that, but I wish they would. I think... I think the MLB as a whole, not not like the organization, but every team in the MLB, uh, I think every team in the MLB needs to consider, um, they need to consider, like you said, some form of safety additions. Because personally for me, like I was saying, if you extend the net from the dugout to the foul pole, maybe you don't have to do the 20-foot net like you do behind the plate. Maybe just do a 10-foot net. Because, you know, most of those roped line drives that come off the bat at 110 miles an hour, most of them are going to be 10 to 15 foot tall. You right, know? right. And so you don't have to obstruct the view of everyone in that section, but you can protect the people in the first five, six rows, you know. And um, like me and Brittany are going to a game at Bush Stadium for my birthday, and we're like, we're just outside the net five rows up by the dugout. And so it's like, we're taking a one-year-old in there. So I, I'm gonna have to be on top of my game because I couldn't afford seats that were behind the net, you know. Right. But yeah, I'm not worried about it because, well, I mean, like I was saying earlier, I know that I when I go to games, I pay attention to the game, you know, and I pay attention to what's going on, and I have the reflexes because I've played sports all my life. I've got the reflexes. I know what to do in that situation, so I'm not worried about anything happening. You know what I mean? But it just it's a safety factor of like, if I got to get up and go to the bathroom and leave Brittany and Baylor sitting there, not behind a net and a foul ball comes off the bat at 110 miles an hour, you know, and, and, you know, I can see it both ways, but I definitely, I err on the side of, they need to do something. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I can see that. I can see the frustrations from it 
and I but I can also see that the, the benefits of it and I in my opinion the benefits greatly outweigh the frustrations. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I think we're on the same page and most of I mean most of baseball fans are on the same mm-hmm. page. The biggest thing that I've heard most people are saying is like, well, if you put nets up, it obstructs the view of certain people. And I'm like, not really. Well, I mean, and you in can a way, see through the does, net. <laughs> but it's not like super thick netting. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's you the can, same netting that the people who sit behind the plate get and they see fine. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, nobody's, like you, nobody's got front row behind the plate seats and are complaining about a net. Yeah. You know what like I mean? You can see through it fine. It, it's, it's not going to be a big deal. I definitely think, um, Putting it up in the outfield would be weird. Uh, well, yeah. I think, I'm so, not gonna come. I'm not gonna come off that hill. I think putting it in the outfield would be weird. Here, well, here's <laughs> I how I would do it if you're going to do it: is it can only be in stadiums where there's not like front row seating. Yeah, right? I could see that. Because if you have front row seating, then you just can't tell if it's a home run or not. Sometimes, right? You have to go to replay. Well, like the um, uh, the Razorbacks at Bomb Stadium. They've got a net up that covers up their scoreboard and like mm-hmm. that grass area in front of their scoreboard that comes straight off of the fence. Right. That's, you know, so they don't have to do maintenance on their scoreboard every, you know, two, three weeks. There's also <laughs> a part of it that like, you know, if you have even a, even a two foot gap mm-hmm. between that netting and the fence, it's plenty of room for the ball to come through. Well, and that's, um, and that's a lot of stadiums don't have that. So it would be really difficult to put it in the outfield. Back to Springfield, uh, because that's where we go the most. Springfield has a like a patio section in right field that they've got a net that goes over the top of it. It's not like yeah. a stand up net. It's one that goes from a building to the fence. Right. That's like 15 foot tall. And it's like a roof over the patio section. Well, and that's kind of something that I would do anyway. I wouldn't do like a vertical fence or a vertical net but at the wall. Yeah, I would do I'd it. try and do like a slanted wall yeah. or a slanted net at the wall. Yeah. Now, I mean, people who have seats... Uh, or stadiums that have seats right up against the wall, you're essentially losing at least your first two rows mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, like Bush would lose a little bit of space. Yeah, and that that can be an issue that some people might not want to do that because of that. And I could see that because that decreases your revenue. I mean, right. in a way, yes, that is kind of hurtful. But I think uh, I think either way, something needs to be done. And um Again, I'm mentioning Bush Stadium because it's the one that I've been to the most. I've been to other stadiums. It's just Bush is the one I go to the most because it's the Cardinals. But at Bush, we've got the, uh, I say we, like I'm part of the team. The bullpens are built into the stands in the outfield and right and left field. So I think it would be cool. Now, I don't know if it's necessary, but I definitely think it would be neat to see a net over the top of the bullpen. Because the way it is at Bush is like you've got your outfield fence and then it's just like a cutout mm-hmm. that's in the stands. That's your bullpen. Well, a lot of stadiums have that. Yeah. And so I think putting a net over that bullpen there would be neat. One, because like um, two years ago or three years ago on my birthday, we went and we sat in right field one row away from the bullpen. So I got to watch the Cardinals yeah. bullpen warm up, which was really neat. But there were fans of the other team that were throwing things into the Cardinal mm-hmm. bullpen. So it's like... Yeah, that's how uh, Minute Maid is as well. Right field has an open, just yeah. like cutout bullpen. But then left field is left like field in is the under, wall. Yeah, it's left field is the under cage. the walkway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Minute Maid's a, a weirdly built park. It is really weird. They finally got rid of the hill in center field. So yeah. that was a couple of years ago. But um, 
Anyway, we agree on that. Yeah, we we definitely we definitely uh, agree we'd like that... to see safety precautions taken because stuff like this keeps happening. Yeah, and it keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah, and eventually someone is going to die from it, and or well, somebody probably has died, and I just don't know the story. Yeah, but eventually more people are going to start dying from it because people keep hitting the ball harder and harder mm-hmm. and faster. And the ball keeps getting thrown faster. Yeah, the faster so, the ball is thrown, the faster it's going to be hit. <laughs> it, injuries are just going to go up, and like anything that we can do to stop that is a good yeah. is a good move. And obviously, um, before we uh, um, before we transfer over to another topic, I definitely want to say you know prayers and thoughts go out to that little girl and her family. I don't for sure. I want to I want to say she's doing all right. I want to say I heard somewhere that she's doing all right. So, I don't know that for sure. But, MLB uh, posted a. I think today that their parents uh, or her parents gave a statement to the press that just said, uh, we appreciate you uh, respecting our privacy. And that was the entirety of the statement. So actually it may not have been today. It may have been yesterday. I don't remember, but um, that was cause I've been like looking up on it because right. I was watching it while it happened. And I've, so I've been kind of like trying to find out what happened, but mm-hmm. I haven't found anything so far. Yeah, I want to say I heard the other day that it was that she was okay, but again, you can look that up for yourself. Don't take my word for it, uh, but definitely want to you know say thoughts and prayers for sure going out to her family because that's that's tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tough to go to a game and try to enjoy it and then end up in the hospital in the emergency room for you know a week or more. Yeah. Um, but uh, but let's transition over to to this. So the other day. I was watching a movie that's one of my favorite movies, um, National Treasure 2 with Nicolas Cage. And in this movie, I don't know if you've seen it or not. I know you've seen it. I don't know if listeners, I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, If you haven't, then you're not living. In this movie, Nicolas Cage's character is looking for Siebel of the City of Gold to try and, you know, clear his grandfather, great, great grandfather's name from conspiring against Abraham Lincoln, right? It's a whole big deal. You conspiring. Don't need, conspiring, sorry. You don't need to know the whole story. You can go watch the movie yourself. You've probably already seen it. But anyway, they go to Mount Rushmore. And they find the City of Gold under Mount Rushmore. And it got me thinking. I was like, man, Mount Rushmore is so cool. I'd like to go there. And then I was like, wait a minute. I got something that I can talk about. It's such an odd thing. It is really weird. And I thought, who, if I were in charge of building Mount Rushmore... Who would I put on it? And I'm not talking like like presidents, because obviously we all know that there would be certain presidents that would be on it, like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington and Teddy Roosevelt, the ones that are already there. And Jefferson, yeah. The ones that are already there. I'm not talking presidents. I'm talking like, like people that have influenced my life in a way that I would put on a Mount Rushmore. And the more I got to thinking about it, I was like, well, there's literally a Mount Rushmore for every category. Yeah. In a way, yeah, for Cause, sure. Because I was talking to a kid at church this morning, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to talk about my personal Mount Rushmore, and I'm probably going to put my dad on it. And then he was like, well, who else are you going to put on it? Because you only got four options. Yeah. And I was like, uh, oh, that's a good that's a, that's a good point. Maybe we should narrow it down from our personal Mount Rushmore to like um, a specific area of our life's Mount Rushmore. Because you could do one for baseball. You could do one for basketball. You could do one right. for nerd stuff. You could do... I mean, crap, you could probably do a Mount Rushmore just for Star Wars. Oh, you know? for sure, yeah. So... I mean, but if you didn't have George Lucas and then Carrie Harrison and Mark 
Yeah, then your Mountain Rushmore's crap. It might you know? be wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, me and Nick talked about it a little bit at lunch. We didn't talk extensively about it because neither of us, I mean, we were busy eating Taco Bell. Um, but we we briefly... Not a sponsor. <laughs> no, we'd love for Taco Bell to sponsor us, though. <laughs> um, we briefly discussed maybe doing like a nerd culture uh, Mount Rushmore. So, like four people in nerd culture that we would put on a Mount Rushmore... Uh, and now, obviously, this is totally subjective to our own ideas. So if you disagree with us, that's fine. You can put in the comments who you think, or you can tweet us who you think would be on your nerd culture Mount Rushmore. Well, and and to just preface this a little bit more, neither of us have really thought about this a lot. That's that's also true. Before we recorded, me <laughs> I was and Nick like, both this went. Is the first we haven't thought about this. Yeah, we neither of us have even even thought about this since we came up with this idea. Uh, and so basically what I want to do is I want to do like our nerd culture, Mount Rushmore, but it doesn't have to be like a creator. Like, because if you did that, then it would obviously be like George, uh, Tolkien, uh, JK Rowling, Steven Spielberg. I don't know, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like eh. maybe not Spielberg, somebody else, but, or maybe C.S. Lewis or something, but C.S. Lewis would make more sense in that group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so it doesn't have to be like a creator of something, but it can be like, uh, it can be, you know, you can put George on there. That's fine. Or you can put like a nerd culture character, like a popular character. Right. You know, like we could put Kylo Ren on there. Probably not, but we could theoretically put Kylo Ren on there. So, um, I don't really know how we want to do this because this is the first time we've done this. Yeah, I don't know. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure to get this right. <laughs> um, I don't because I think everything is subjective and it's all personal. So That's fair. Uh, I'll just give you all four of mine. All right. Uh, so first, I would put... Uh, the first, th- first one I would put would be Chris Perkins. Okay. Uh because lead writer at D and D or yeah the the Wizards of the Coast Wizards sorry. of the Coast yeah he is the uh, I can't remember what his official title is but it's like he's he's the lead of all stories he's like creative executive or something yeah it's something that's like probably that. not his title but that's basically what he does but uh he's just he's done a lot for D and D and he's hilarious and witty. And an amazing DM, and um, he is all of those things. Just, yeah. just a fantastic writer, and I've I've never personally met him, but from the way that he carries himself, he seems to be very genuine and a very nice guy. Uh, second, I would put Stan Lee. Definitely Stan Lee. I should have put him in the you know the creators one with George and yeah. J.K. Rowling. And- so Stan Lee for sure, uh, because even before the current MCU, I was invested at least a little bit with uh, Marvel. In that, like I I wasn't like a huge comic books guy, but I liked reading comics, and I would like that was what I would read like in the library at school or something. I wouldn't. I, you know, I would always bring like fantasy novels and stuff home, but uh, if I was just sitting there and I had to read something in the library, I'd pick up a comic book. Um, but yeah, so Stan Lee, just for all of the awesome times that I had reading through some amazing stories, and and then now even with the MCU. Uh, so those are my first two. So you got two creators technically. Yeah. 
I mean, Chris Perkins isn't a creator, but he basically is. No, he is. He's like he is. He. I mean, because he didn't create Dungeons and Dragons, but he created. No, but he creates adventures for yeah, it. He he created what we know as Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, and he he's in a way he's not solely responsible. It's like him and Mike Merles, and there are more people, but those are the two like big names now mm-hmm. that are. I I would in air quotes say responsible for the popularity of D and D fifth edition, them in Critical Role, like oh yeah. For sure. Um, third on my list, I'm going to go with Mark Hamill. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so are you doing Mark Hamill or like Luke Skywalker? Mark Hamill. And I, I think Luke would probably fall under that, but... Well, I mean, if you're doing Mark, then you would also, you would obviously get quite. Luke and the Joker. Yeah, and... I think that most, more or less, it's the, the fact that he's like... I don't know, he's he's another one that's like Chris Perkins in that he's he's so talented what he does and he's also just he's very uh upfront about things. He's not gonna like he's super honest. Mm-hmm. You can see on his Twitter and on Sometimes his to a uh, fault. Instagram and stuff and Well, Disney would say to a fault. I think right. the fans would probably appreciate it. But it, it's also just like Yeah, I mean he brought Luke to life in uh in a way that had never really happened before because that franchise nothing like that had ever happened and uh he went with it and he did well and then he's also just like he's very active um and very outspoken about what he believes in and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and we don't line up in the things that we believe in on a lot of things and i actually i don't line up with a lot of the things that like chris perkins believes in either but that doesn't make a difference. Like I, I respect the fact that they are, they believe it enough. Mm-hmm. They believe in it enough to fight for it. Um, and I can respect that even if it's not something I agree with. Um, and then my fourth one, I don't know. The fourth one is super difficult. I don't know what you're talking about. The first one for me is super difficult. I don't know what I'm going to do. Cause I have a few, um, that I'm kind of thinking of. You want me to do a couple? Yeah, do do a few of yours. Okay. And then I'll come back to my last one. So my number one, um, my obvious number one is George Lucas. Because just from um, obviously the creation of Star Wars. Now, I don't want anyone to take this lightly when I say that Star Wars literally has shaped my life. Um, because... I know people say that kind of stuff all the time, but I literally mean like some of my best friends in the world I'm only friends with because of Star Wars, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and, and that's a beautiful thing. Like, uh, some of the people that I know that I've met online and through the podcast world, I literally only know them because of Star Wars, you know, like James Rizile and the rebel scum guys. I only know them because of Star Wars, you know, and the guys over at Wampa's Lair, I've only talked to them because of Star Wars. And so it's like, I've made obviously my friends that are here physically with me almost every week we all love star wars and what brought us together was dungeons and dragons but we also all have a love of star wars but what has allowed me to uh, one create this podcast and be able to you know collaborate with other podcasters is star wars and i think that that's amazing you know and i think uh, i was talking to one of the kids at church this morning about it and i was like man steven spielberg really missed out in 77 you know 
and George Lucas changed the world. Mm-hmm. He didn't know he was doing it, but he changed the world. Oh, for sure. And, you know, from the past 41 years has been, it's been nuts, you know, and there's so much Star Wars content and the love of Star Wars has engulfed so many people. And I just, I don't think George Lucas gets enough credit for that. No, for sure. Especially after the prequels came out. Yeah, I think people like to bash George Lucas and make fun of his writing ability. And yeah, his dialogue isn't great, but his story making, yeah. is his storytelling ability is like hands down one of the top storytellers in the world. Yeah. His yeah, for dialogue. Sure. For sure. His dialogue is what kills him. I also think that people tend to forget that like, yeah, he made a couple bad movies. Like if you look at, if if you are like, I like all three of the prequels, but. I do too. If you don't like the prequels, then yeah, you're going to look at it and say, yeah, George Lucas made three bad movies, so he's not any good when he also made the first three and yeah. he wasn't directing but and he, he wasn't necessarily writing but everything. He was, he was writing and producing. But he was there and he was, everything was touched by George Lucas. And yeah. so like, That's what to some say of... that like, yeah, he, I don't like the prequels. So George Lucas was really bad. Well, but but you love the original trilogy. Yeah. He did that too. You remember that, right? Some of the best parts of the Clone Wars animated TV show were ones that George Lucas and Dave Filoni worked on together. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, George is an incredible storyteller. He just, he really needs needs someone there to write dialogue. He needs a writer with him. But George does not get near enough credit for the empire that he has built in that pun intended. (laughs) That was good. Uh, he definitely deserves more Would credit. Would you say it's a galactic empire, Joshua? Trick question. It's not. <laughs> it's only on Earth. <laughs> Yikes. All right, so my number two, um, transitioning from a galaxy far, far away, my number two has probably got to be Gary Gygax. Uh, and for the same reasons as Chris Perkins is on yours, not because obviously Gary Gygax came and went before my time, but he created something that will forever be around, you know? Right. Like, um, and I don't remember who it was that he created it with. It, yeah. It was Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. Yeah. Like those two guys, um, specifically Gygax because he, I mean, he's the one that I know about. He's, he's the popular one. If, if you're going to, if you're going to know one of them, you know, of Gary Gygax, yeah. not Dave Arneson. And I think, um, for the same reasons as George, like, what he created has become such a big part of my life and is a reason for multiple friendships in my life. Like Sean and Tanner and Jason, I probably wouldn't know those guys if it wasn't for Dungeons and Dragons. Well, I mean, Sean, I would know because you and Sean are friends or were friends before us. You'd know Sean because I lived with him for a year. Yeah, But I wouldn't be friends with those three guys if it wasn't for Dungeons and Dragons. And I think that yeah. that's something that's, I think it's really cool because you can bring a group of people together that one probably would never meet each other. And even if they did, they probably wouldn't, you know, have a built relationship together, but you can bring people together from all different walks of life. Like Jason's 40 years old and I'm 22. He's got a 12 year old and I got a one year old, you know, you and Sean and uh, Tanner, are all single guys that probably wouldn't have anything to do with me and Jason, who are two married dudes that don't really have time for anything else. If it wasn't for Dungeons and Dragons, you know, it's just, it's something that's amazing to me 
I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there and, and <laughs> say it's a bit rude that you think that I would have nothing to do with you. Okay, well you however wouldn't proceed. <laughs> that might be the um the most upfront compliment that Nick's ever given me. So I want to take it's a moment to son. appreciate that. <laughs> That's not the fact that we're brothers or anything. It's it's that uh, I have a kid that he loves. It's your kid. <laughs> I, I I'll take it. That guy is um, real cute. But no, I think um I think I'd put Gygax on there for the same reason as George, just because of the thing that he created is such a big part of my life and such a big part of many of the friendships that I have mm-hmm. that you know, my life would be completely different if Gygax had never created Dungeons and Dragons. My life would be completely different if George Lucas had never created Star Wars, you know? So I think um, those two guys for sure go on there. Now, after that, um, I'm like you, it's, it's kind of hard. Yeah, and see, it's interesting because we both chose D- a D&D figure and we both chose a Star Wars figure but different guys though <laughs> but you like my original thought was to go with the creators on both of them but then i was like no actually because they're the ones who have actually influenced me i chose the other ones because like i like i'm still i will always be influenced at least a little bit by mark hamill by uh and by chris perkins whereas george lucas and gygax like Lucas is more applicable, I think. But like Gygax, I never got to meet. I never got to play, you know, a Gygaxian-style game. That's fair. And But Chris Perkins, like, technically I could, you know? But no, it's it's the same exact thought. I, it's just like, I went with the new guys. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, can, I can respect that. And I think... Um, let's see. So um, I've got one more, you've got two more. Yeah. My my wireless mouse has quit working. What a nightmare this has become. Uh, let's see. So, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to go with, uh, I think I'm going to go with Tolkien. That's a good one. For That's my last pick. one. Because uh, maybe even more so than Star Wars for a while anyway, uh, Lord of the Rings was a huge influence on me. Uh not so much anymore. I mean, it still is an influence, and I still love it, but not not as much as Star Wars. Uh, but th- I mean, there was a good chunk of time where I I would only watch Lord of the Rings stuff <laughs> or read it, or you know, I loved it, and I still do. But it's just it's so good, and it's it's the quintessential Dungeons and Dragons type tale. Yeah, I love I love uh, Tolkien. And all his work. I was actually uh, talking about that at church this morning, too. We talked a lot about fantasy stuff at church this morning, which I'm okay with. Um, But we talked about the three, like the trilogy, of course. And then we talked about the prequels, basically, that he wrote for it. The, you know, the like history books uh, of Middle Earth, which are also amazing. And so uh, Tolkien is another one that it... It's hard for me to put him on a list, but it's also hard for me to not put him on the list, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's difficult. Um, I would say my number three would probably be, and for the same reason that you have Chris Perkins, uh, probably Matt Mercer. Yeah, I, I thought about doing that for sure. 
I would probably put Matt Mercer on there just because, uh, one, because of just how good of a DM he is and the influence that he's had on my playing style. Um, and the, the, um, group that he has around him and the things that they've done that have influenced D and D to make it, you know, make it popular. Uh, but I would put him on there for the same reason that you put Chris Perkins is like, yes, his influence over Dungeons and Dragons, but also because there's a possibility that I could get to meet that man one day, you yeah. know? Um, and that would be amazing if I could meet Matt Mercer. I would tell him how much I love him and appreciate him. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, I would definitely put him on there just because what he has done for storytelling and what he has done for Dungeons and Dragons as a whole has completely shaped the trajectory of Dungeons and Dragons, I feel. Right. Like, I mean, it was popular. It was, it was popular amongst a specific crowd. When Matt Mercer and his crew started critical role, it became popular amongst everyone. Mm -hmm. Like everyone. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, it changed the world for sure. And still is. I, um, I just can't see a world where I wouldn't put Matt Mercer on that list. And even if I didn't put him on the list, he would be an honorable mention. Like he would be now the are, next guy that I would carve in the mountain. Right. You know? now, now are we carving it into the mountain? Because I don't want to have to carve all that hair. Um, no, we'll pay someone to do it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So my number, he's got a lot of hair. <laughs> he does have a lot of hair and it's, it's good hair. Um, my number four Man, I don't know. I see. I got George. I got Guy Gax. I got Matt. I don't know, man. This is tough. It's tougher than I thought it was going to be. I'd probably have to do... Let's see. If I'm doing it based off of people that have influenced me, I would probably have to do... Harrison Ford. That's a good one. Yeah. But if I'm doing it based off of the impact of their work as a whole, like, you know, uh, world shaping, not just personally for me, probably either Tolkien or JK Rowling. Yeah. Um, I could see all three of those. They're all three really good choices. But since we technically called this our personal nerd culture Mount Rushmore I'm going to go with uh, Harrison because uh, for the same reason that you did Luke he brought that character to life in such a way that will never be recreated I mean Alden Arnrecht did a fantastic job recreating Han Solo I'm not taking that away hashtag make Solo 2 happen (laughs) I would love to see Solo 2 and Alden Arnrecht is an incredible Han Solo but it just it doesn't get any better for me than Harrison Ford and not just because of his Han Solo, but also because of Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones is incredible. It doesn't get the credit it deserves. It's another Lucas Lucasfilm production that, to me, is... Copyright. To me, Indiana Jones is right up there with, you know, the big three. You know, you've got your Star Wars, your Harry Potter, your Lord of the Rings, you know. I mean, it can hold its own. It's pretty good. It's so good. It's so good. And Harrison Ford is one of the best actors of any generation. What do you mean? <laughs> he's he's so good. And so I, I would put 
and it feels sacrilegious for me to not put a Jedi up there and Mark Hamill, but it all, at the same time, like if I'm doing it off of people that have influenced me, you made the right choice, kid. It, thank you. Is Harrison Ford? It's got to be Harrison because uh, Harrison. Well, I won't say Harrison. Han. I relate so much to Han Solo, and I feel like that's why I love Poe Dameron so much. Yeah. But I relate so much to Han Solo, and he's my favorite character, bar none, hands down, you know, any other cliche you want to say, Han Solo's the best. He's my favorite, no questions asked, uh, in, in part because of what Harrison was able to do with it. So Yeah, he's, he's pretty dang good. So that's my, I mean, that's... That's my nerd culture, Mount Rushmore. Maybe we'll do another one sometime with different topics because, like we said uh, at the top of this segment, you can kind of do it with a bunch of different... Like, we did nerd culture today. Well, we could break that down and do Star Wars tomorrow. We could do Lord of the Rings. We could do D&D. We could do... You could do it with sports, too. You could do it like a basketball Mount Rushmore. Who would you put on that? You know, four people that have influenced the game of basketball or baseball or football. I mean, you could you do it with anything. And so, um, so I definitely think this is a, uh, a segment that we will do multiple times. It's fun to think about. It is fun to think about. Uh, so let's transition to this. Um, that was very Colin Cowherdy. Let's transition to this. So let's, uh, let's transition to this now, guys. <laughs> that was a terrible Colin Cowherd that impression. That wasn't a Cal- Colin Coward. That was me doing an impression of you doing an impression of Colin Coward. <laughs> oh, great. So mine's that bad, huh? <laughs> So let's transition to this thing, guys. Colin Coward, you're my favorite um, radio personality. You're not going to listen to this, though. My mouse just died, so that's great. So we'll just use the trackpad because I don't have another battery in here. Well, nope. Camera takes different batteries. All right, so let's transition to this for the third time. Vanity Fair recently uh, put out an article. That uh, I don't remember the title of it, but uh, well, Skywalker or Star, Star Wars, Wars: The Rise, the Rise of, Skywalker of Skywalker photos colon meet the characters and go on set. Yep, that's it. Photographs by Annie Leibovitz. Yep, summer twenty nineteen. So um, obviously, if you guys are into Star Wars, big into Star Wars, this You've is probably old these. news to you. <laughs> this is probably old news to you uh, because they came out I think two weeks ago. And to be real honest, there's, I mean, there's not much to glean from no, them. It's not, not like super behind the scenes stuff. It's, it's just, just cool stuff. It's just cool stuff. Like we knew that all of these things were happening. Yeah. It, there's not any spoilers, nothing new. It's just, yeah. it's just kind of cool. The, pictures o- the only thing that like was a hundred percent confirmed that we weren't a hundred percent sure on before was the, uh, uh, Knights of Ren. Yes. That was the only thing. I mean, like we weren't a hundred percent sure we were pretty sure. But we weren't 100% sure. And uh, now we are. Other than that, it's all the same stuff. Just some cool pictures. Things we can speculate about. I don't. Uh, when's the last time you used that camera? Uh, that's a great question. You expected those batteries to be alive? Well, partially. It's probably been like years since you've used that camera. Probably. Right. My camera? Yeah. Hey, you want that back? Yeah, I would, actually. Okay. You want some dead batteries, too? Yeah, I guess I'm having to take them home. <laughs> anyway. I digress. So, let, so let's go through the pictures. <laughs> All right. So let's look through these real quick. Um, so the first one here, you get a behind-the-scenes look at a shot uh, that JJ is directing 
of Ray in the desert with her hood off, just kind of standing there, all lonesome. Um, which with some of the crew behind them, uh, you got some booms up, which is uh, it's a neat photo. Which, depending on how or what it looks like behind them, that literally could just be from the trailer. Yeah, I mean it. It could be. We don't. We don't know. That's the beauty of these pictures. Is that it's just it's cool to look at. It's cool to see uh, because what really excites me and Ken Napsok said this on uh, Jedi Council, I think last week. It's like now is the time that marketing is really going to ramp up. Oh, for sure. So yeah. the next couple months. So this excites me because marketing is really about to to kick uh-huh. it into gear. So, all right. Uh, next picture we see is the droids, yeah, and by the droids know. I mean C three PO and BB eight. Getting yep. some, uh, quote unquote, makeup. Probably um, in the same scene. Yeah. Uh, just a guy holding an umbrella over the big metal suit. Another guy wiping something off of the suit. I mean, just another kind of... You say the suit like that's not Anthony Daniels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Wiping something off of Anthony Daniels' face. Uh, it's C-3PO's face. But, well, I mean, um, it is, but it's <laughs> Anthony Daniels in the suit. That's true. Uh, so another, just another cool behind-the-scenes photo again there's not a ton here that we can just like break down and go into major detail there is one picture that i don't want to go like in major detail i just want to talk about it a little bit but uh, we'll get to that in a minute here's so this is what i was talking about the, the next third one. one is uh jj hanging yeah. out with the knights of ren in and the i desert. say third it's actually labeled as number two like number one is yeah. listed as the one of c3po and bb8 yeah. so picture number two if you're following along at home uh is the one with jj directing the knights of ren so I think um, one thing, I don't know if you've seen it. I'm sure you have because you're all over social media looking at Star Wars stuff too. Uh, this axe that one of them is holding is the same axe that's in Dryden Voss's office yeah. in Solo. Yeah. Which I think is a neat detail. I don't know if it means anything. Of course, I mean, we don't necessarily know that that is It means not to be the same common, design. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's it's a cool throwback, but it could also just mean, like, this could just make it to where... Everybody from that planet has those axes. You know what I mean? We don't know. That could literally... And we can't even tell what kind of... What race this guy is. What uh, species he is. It literally could be like... Like if you go to uh, 76 Arms and Ammunition. Not a sponsor, by the way, but shout out. If you go down there and you bought, you know, a a Glock 19. And then you bring it home. And I go down there and buy a Glock 19. We've bought the same gun. Right. It may not be... Like, I don't have the exact same gun as you. Exactly. Like, I didn't go steal yours. Who but knows, though? It might be the exact same one. Yeah, and if it, it is, be. that's awesome. But, you know, you got to think. That would just uh, make my theory of Kira being involved with uh, Ray make a lot more sense. I mean, I definitely because think in some, if that's, in some way, yeah. Because if that is the one that was in Dryden Voss's uh, personal stash, you know. And, she's the yeah. one that's in control of that so yeah so uh so maybe the knights of ren are under her control it's definitely cool to see the Doesn't knights matter. of ren we'll though. see in december huh yeah it's definitely cool to see the knights of ren though because we've been they've been hyped for two movies now and we haven't seen them so it's definitely cool to uh to see them a little bit uh so the next one is a new character uh this is carrie russell's character uh zori or zori or zori i'm pretty sure not exactly uh, sure on the Zori pronunciation, Blitz. but uh, Carrie Russell's character looks, I mean, basically looks like a bounty hunter. A I bit, mean, yeah. She kinda, I mean, she just kind of looks like a thief. Yeah, I mean. Like that, that uh, scum and villainy type. Yeah. I mean, it just reminds me a lot of like a, uh, 
like a cloud city vibe. Right. That's yeah, what I get from for it. sure. I definitely think, um, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this, but I know how I feel about it. Seeing Carrie Russell's character with a mask on, it doesn't like upset me, but I hope she doesn't wear the mask the whole time. Well, I don't think that anybody will wear a mask the entire time. Yeah, I don't either. In these, uh, in this entire s- sequel's trilogy. I don't either. <laughs> because Even Phasma didn't. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, Phasma, the person who swore that nobody would ever see her real face after what she did in her novel. We even saw her face. It's true. So I think, um, I hope at some point that Carrie Russell takes off her mask because she's such a good actress. Yeah. And it, to me, it just feels like a shame to cast someone that's that talented and that beautiful and put them on her mask. You know, yeah. like it just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I mean, they did the same thing with Adam driver though, but they let him take the mask off. Right. So, well, that's what I mean is I don't think anybody is confined yeah. to a mask in this trilogy. So that's a cool look at uh, Carrie Russell's character. Uh, I love the, the purple and the gold it looks pretty cool. Plus one thing that like comparing this to the original trilogy back then we didn't have g- great technology to dub voices over stuff. That's true. So whoever was playing Vader, had to keep the mask on. Yeah. Originally, it wasn't because, or well, maybe it was. I mean, maybe George thought of that, but originally, I would think it wasn't. You know, he, keeping the mask on because he absolutely had to live, or whatever. It was because they didn't want to have to worry about vocal syncing. Mm-hmm. So moving that's my on thought anyway. I might be way, way off on that. Picture number four. Uh we got Hux, Hux and. Allegiant General Pride, which is Richard E. Grant's character. Uh, so I was correct in my assumption that Richard E. Grant was going to be First Order. Yes. Um, which is cool to confirm because uh, I didn't know that at all. I was just like, oh, it's Richard E. Grant. He's going to be evil. <laughs> now, here's a question for you. This is uh, General Hux, obviously. Yep. Same uh, rank that we saw him in The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. However, he is not wearing. He's his, in a different outfit. Yeah, he is not wearing the same uniform as catch. the other allegiant general. I didn't see that before, but yeah. So speculations yep. begin. Uh, obviously, we have no idea what that means. This yeah. could just be like could mean nothing. This <laughs> is a meeting, and so he's not wearing his yeah, you know, his wartime attire. You know, it could literally be millions of different things. But, I hope uh, that uh, I hope that Hux is taken a little more seriously in this movie. Not that I think Ryan did a bad job. I thought it was a good good use of Hux, but I hope that he has a more serious role this time around. But uh, next picture, I think he has to. Next picture we see is another kind of behind the scenes uh, looking at some cast and crew. You got a picture. You got Ray and Chewie standing on the left side. Anthony Daniels and um, the C three PO suit. With another umbrella being held over him. And then I mean, Finn. It's the desert, man. And I'm assuming that's like a speeder that they're standing next yeah, to. Yeah, so it does say chase scene, which makes me think it's the chase scene from the from, from the, the trailer, trailer. Which is interesting because that would mean that Ray is with them during that scene when on the trailer, it is just C-3PO, Finn, and Poe on the speeder. That's true. So... I guess we'll wait till December to yeah. see, but um, maybe that maybe that means that like halfway through that race or that chase, I guess she like jumps off. Or she something. she bounces, but then so does Chewie, apparently. So yeah. maybe they get thrown from it. It's possible. Get it's captured, possible. and then that adds a plot hook. Uh, I did see the other day somebody 
was looking through the Vanity Fair stuff and they posted the two pictures of Anthony Daniels with somebody holding an umbrella for him next to one from 77 where he was holding his own umbrella. Yeah. And it was like started from the bottom. Now we're here. (laughs) Now somebody's holding this umbrella. (laughs) I was like, oh, poor Anthony. That's funny, though. All right. So moving on to picture number six. This one here has another behind the scenes kind of shot. Looks like they're filming a scene uh, that is the chase scene. Right. And they got a picture of the little um, their the little speeder rig that they moving. Made. Yeah, so you've got so, Chewie, Ray, and BB-8. Also, one thing that's one thing to note is from this picture, it kind of makes it feel like maybe uh, the chase in the chase scene they're just on separate vehicles. Yeah, that's what I was because thinking. this vehicle or this speeder from the original, like from the stuff that they used to film it looks different is very different in model and it looks it looks kind of like it's small enough that only the three of them would be able right. to fit and i don't see anthony daniels there so right. well that's what i mean is these are the three characters that w- weren't in the yeah, trailer that weren't on the, on the other one yeah so that's picture number six um really nothing there the just thing. just it's a cool picture one, yeah. just, just cool to see um this one is one of my favorites this next one's called punch it it yep. is You've got um, BB-8, Chewie, Lando, Poe, and Dio all in the cockpit of the Falcon. And they're all kind of looking suave and doing their thing, you know, like Lando and Poe do. Because they're both good-looking young men that uh, are confident in their abilities. (laughs) I like this picture a lot. I do, Uh, too. I love it. And I think it comes back to the same thing you said after we saw the trailer. Is like, I, I didn't know how much it would impact me to see Billy D in the cockpit again. Yeah. But seeing him fly the Falcon again just kind of like gives you the warm tinglies inside, yeah. you know? It was it's weird too because uh when the trailer for Last Jedi dropped two years ago and the scene where Luke walks into the cockpit right. and turns on the lights I didn't know that I wanted Luke in the Falcon right. until that happened. Then I was like, oh, thank you, Ryan. I didn't know that, like, obviously I knew Billy D was coming back and I was like, I want Lando to do something cool. I didn't right. know that I wanted him in the Falcon that bad until well, I saw it. Well, that's the thing is, like, with The Force Awakens, there was the moment that, Joey, we're home. Yeah. Such like, a good moment. That's such a great moment and you get the warm tinglys inside and then you see Luke and he's, like, feeling all of the consoles and stuff like Takes that. Takes the dice and... And that's a great moment, and and it makes you it like warms your heart, and then, uh, yeah, like none of them are really expected though, because you you look at them and you you're like, it, minus Han and Chewie. You're like, well, Han and Chewie belong in the Falcon. Yeah. But when it came to Luke and Lando specifically, it was like, yeah, sure, throw them on the Falcon. That's fine. I mean, if you put them in any other ship, it's going to be the same mm-hmm. feeling. And then as soon, I mean, that's just what the Falcon does. When you put anybody, like the at the very beginning of Force Awakens, when it's just Finn and Ray, and you see the and Falcon, it's like, and yeah. you're like, oh, that gives me like that warms the my Falcon's heart. Falcon's back. Like it's more to do with the Falcon, but then this specifically, yeah, this yeah. picture just like it's so cool. And um, yeah, it just is. I don't want. There are two things I want to point out about this picture that I don't. I don't really think there's anything crazy that's going to happen based off of these two things but i do want to point them out because i think it's cool um the watch that lando is wearing is the exact same one from empire strikes back that he uses to summon lobot yeah so maybe lobot's back i don't know i think lobot probably died probably 
It's possible. I don't know. He's it's half probable. Robot, so maybe not. It's probable that he's dead, but could be back. Uh, and then also in the description, Billy D. Williams describes Lando as a survivor. Yeah. So like, what the crap has Lando been going through? <laughs> you know? So yeah. um, again, not really much to go on there. We'll wait till December, see what happens. We'll wait till after December when novels come out. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. So also a big fan of Dio. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. I do you. like Dio. He kind of reminds me of the little Pixar. Yeah. He's uh, like the lamp. lamp. He's the Pixar lamp. Yeah. It's kind of cool. On, on a wheel instead of hopping. Shout out to Pixar when we're talking about Disney. Now this picture, let me just tell you. This one's called Horsing Around. Number eight. This picture uh, I love is it. everything I've ever wanted. <laughs> because this is like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings <laughs> in one picture. You think you know what I mean? You think she's like a uh like a female Legolas? I that... mean Literally just looking at this picture. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I agree. Finn, and I hope so. Finn and new ally, uh, Jana, Jaina. Is it Jaina? Uh, it's, I, I believe it's Jaina. Jaina. Finn and Jaina atop Hardy Orbax, uh, which are basically just they're space horses. horses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're space horses. Um, It's extremely surreal to be in it, says the actor who plays um Jaina, and see how it works out from the inside. So that's pretty cool. Uh, get a little tidbit from her. That's that's neat. Um, lead charges against... Oh. Against the First Order. Yeah. Yeah, but... Against the mechanized, mechanized forces. Mechanized forces. Yeah, which, so is that like which a leads droid you to believe army? droids or That'd droids cool. of some kind. Could be tanks is what they... Yeah, it could it be. It could be tanks or speeders or anything like that. Very but, well could be. But the way that they do, specifically saying mechanized forces... It makes you it think droids. Makes you think droids, but who really who knows? knows? Could be misdirect. But I love, uh, and this is going to seem like very minuscule, but I love that po- or that Finn is wearing bright blue pants. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I mean, think they're cool. Well, I just also think that like that was a big deal for John Boyega too. And that he was like the costuming for Finn in the first two movies, uh, just from like a looks standpoint, he didn't look like he belonged to either faction. It's true. Now it's like he's now found he his looks, home. He looks like he a rebel. He looks like a rebel. Yeah. And so he's, it's like he's finally accepted that mentally. And he looks, he looks the part now. And so he was really excited about that, which then in turn made me really excited about it too. All right. This next one, this is a pretty cool picture. Uh, it doesn't have a title, but it's just a, a picture of a behind the scenes, like a camera operator filming a scene yeah, with so Ray and Chewie. So that's the chase scene so or probably what leads into it because this just says ready's a take. And yeah. So that's pretty cool. Uh, shout out to Colin Anderson. Probably never listened to this, but shout out to Colin Anderson. Next one is Well Met. This is picture number 10. Just a bunch of aliens and... Uh, on the planet Pasana, which... Um, probably means that our new desert planet is, is not somewhere we've ever been. So our um, theories from our last Star Wars one that we did over the trailer, theorizing is it... Jakku, is it Jeddah? Is it Tatooine? Uh, JJ's like, hey, doesn't this, matter. This is Pasana, so uh, so we're on Pasana, which uh, I'm not crazy that it's a new desert planet, but I'm okay with it. You know, I'm not. Oh, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it. I don't care at all. I'm take me gonna, to take me to a planet every everywhere <laughs> in the galaxy. I'm not gonna like throw a fit that it's a new desert planet, but you know, it's yeah, fine. Take me know? somewhere new every movie. Please. Now this one, this is my favorite one. This is picture number eleven. It's called Star Crossed, uh, and you've got Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley. Um, 
The caption says, battle it out with lightsabers in a stormy confrontation. The force connection, what driver calls their maybe bond, quote unquote, will turn out to be even deeper than previously revealed. Me and Nick were looking at it. Um, both of us feel like this picture could kind of go either way. They could be fighting with each other or against each other. Um, the way that the caption is written makes it seem like they're fighting against each other. But again, that's not really a hill that either of us Here, would die on. Here's why I disagree. And yeah, like I said, it doesn't really make a difference, I don't think. But the reason I, I disagree is because if by by specifically not saying fight it out, battle it out, yeah, could can mean... can apply to the entire scenario. Yeah. So if there are, let's just say that the First Order are using droids in this mechanized army, if all of a sudden all of those droids start to fire on Rey, and then Kylo is like, oh wait, no thanks, yep. he turns... That's what this scene reminds me of. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who has like not delved super deep into sword fighting technique and stuff like that, uh, but at least gone through the surface level stuff, if she is fighting him right here... That's a very poor technique. She is basically <laughs> about to die. Yeah. And maybe that's the way it is. Like Maybe that's what's about to happen. Uh, probably not her die, but like get injured or something. We'll see but, in December. <laughs> but just from the, the angles that they appear to be looking in their footwork, it doesn't look like... Now, Kylo, his is a little bit more ambiguous. His kind of looks like maybe he's about to lunge in with a with a right cross. But her form looks like she's... If she's holding the lightsaber closer to the camera than her head, which you can tell because her head has a blue glow on it. Mm-hmm. And she's also looking towards the camera, then she can't be fighting Kylo. I don't know. We'll we'll see in December. Does that I make mean, sense? It definitely her the way that her feet are placed. She doesn't really seem to be like her body is facing Kylo, but her head and her arms are turned away from Kylo. So yeah, her head and her arms act like they are fighting against something that's from the camera's perspective. Yeah. And her legs look like they're turning to that and her body hasn't caught up yet. Who knows? It could be her fighting Kylo and some of the Knights of Ren. Yeah. Who maybe. Knows? Yeah. Obviously we don't know. Uh, JJ knows Daisy and uh, Adam know, but you know, we'll find out in December what happens. Um, but I think, you know, obviously it's not a hill that I would die on, but I think it could right. go either way. Well, that's the the way I am with everything with this. So this next one, this one's pretty cool. Uh, JJ actually filming a shot um, and hanging out with his crew. Uh, I I, I just think it's cool that the director is getting behind the camera. I think that's neat. Well, JJ is really good with both. So I, I definitely think I don't know how often that happens on big, big money movies like this. Right. But, uh, if if it doesn't like he's one that i would expect to do it mm. that's a cool show and i would trust to do it this one's cool this one's uh, my you've favorite. got john williams conducting so so that's i neat. don't know if, if many people know this uh i would assume most of the star wars fans do but i'm gonna say it anyway the way that john williams does uh his recording for the movie is fantastic and the reason is because he always, you know, he has, first off, he's just amazing. He writes phenomenally and composes uh, maybe the best soundtracks that we've ever heard 
and well, probably will ever hear. But uh, he also just like he will watch the movie playing in the background with no music, mm-hmm. and based on what is happening in the movie in the scene that he is watching, he will adjust how he's composing or how he's directing. I mean, he will di- uh, he will change the way that he is directing the band, the orchestra in order to more seamlessly interact with the scene. That's so brilliant. That's really good. Yeah. Uh, I think there will never be, I mean, Hans Zimmer's really good. Uh, there's a couple of, there are a lot that are really good, but the, uh, John did, Williams, man, um, John Williams didn't do solo. Who did solo? I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Whoever did solo was really good. I don't think it was John Williams. Um, rogue one was really good. I mean, John Williams is the best. I mean, hands down, John Williams is the best. But there are so many good composers that don't get enough credit. There are so many good... um, I don't really know what to call them other than the composers. I mean, the guys that do all of the music for all of the films and place the music in the films. Because it's more than just writing the music. You know, it's placing the music with the moments in the films. Right. And George Lucas even said that like 50% of a movie is its sound yeah and john williams masters that and there will never be anyone in my mind as good as john williams yeah for sure all right so the next one is one of the coolest ones of all of them and it is luke with r2 and fire in the background says from the ashes mark hamill as luke with r2d2 speculation is rampant about who will rise uh who will rise as the Skywalker of the movie's title and how that cho- how that choice will reflect the way the world has changed since Star Wars debut in 1977. So I was talking this morning um, about this picture and I've heard a lot of people that have been like, well, it can't be a force ghost because he's not all blue and glowy into that. I'm like, they do the blue and glowy in post. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah they don't make him blue and glowy on set. <laughs> like, like Hamill doesn't just walk up blue and glowy. Like they do that in post. However, <laughs> Um, I will say, obviously it's not impossible, uh, to, for them to have taken this and made him, uh, a force ghost. No, However, not at all. His cloak is blowing yep. in the wind. Yeah. So that would mean to me that he's it's probably not, real, that he's actually there. And now, I don't whether know. this is a, a force back. That's what I feel like. Into seeing a, a, you know, a vision essentially. Or maybe maybe it is. Maybe the rise of Skywalker literally is him coming that back. That he has essentially figured out how to come back from how to come back. Yeah. And it, I mean, it'd be really cool. I mean, I do think it's interesting, like you point out, his cloak is blowing in the wind, um, and his hair and beard are the exact same as they were when he died at right. the end. So and I mean I think you would think like, that if he's going to be a force ghost, he would probably be the projection of himself that Kylo saw, right? Maybe, well, maybe, maybe, maybe well, not. Prob- I don't know. I mean, he'd probably be the same age as when he died, because that's what we've seen. When Obi Wan well, died, he came back in the, that yeah uh, moment. Then and, they retconned that with bringing back Hayden Christensen in six, though. Well, but that was when Anakin Skywalker died. Well, that's that, fair. That's the the reason that that's they say fair. that. But anyway, so the the reason that I think that if this is a Force Ghost. Um, it just changes the way that Force Ghost 
work yeah. inherently. Which Ryan Johnson did with Yoda in Last Jedi. So, eh, kind of. Not really. Like all, all he did with that was like he could interact, and uh, but that was really the big difference. the The rest of it, he still wasn't really affected by the world around him. No, but he could, you know, he could control like making the lightning strike, right. and he could physically touch Luke, which was different right. than anything we'd seen before. Well, no, I think Obi Wan put his hand on Luke's shoulder at one point. Well, maybe, but um, Obi Wan did sit down at one point too. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean. But interacting in the fact that, like, if there's an explosion, you know, you're getting knocked back by the wind, uh, your hair blowing, your cloak blowing, that kind of stuff we've never seen from Force Ghosts. So, that would lead me to believe that it isn't. However, Luke is really cool, and Mark Hamill is really, really cool. This is such a cool picture. uh, Mark Hamill could just be like... No, but uh, while I'm a force ghost, there's just a perpetual breeze. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can save this picture and make it my wallpaper because that's a sweet picture. But like, you know, like that's the, th- that's the kind of thing that Mark Hamill would do. Yeah. And it's he's like, just JJ, um, look, Ryan killed me. So <laughs> why don't you just give me like a perpetual breeze so that like while I'm a force ghost, my just, hair is kind of like flowing in the wind. I just look awesome all the time. <laughs> All right, so let's move. That's the last of the actual like set pictures. The next two are the Vanity Fair cover photos. There's one of Ray on Pisana with her staff and blaster. We can't see the lightsaber, but her cloak is blowing, so uh, it's probably there. Um, and then the next one is Kylo also on Pisana. You can't see his lightsaber either, uh, but he is kind of staring angrily, and his cloak's blowing in the wind. So I mean, there's really nothing in those two. Uh, but they're cool cover pictures. I mean, yeah, they're cool pics, but yeah, they don't really show anything. No, which is cool. Uh, so guys, that has been, um, Vanity Fair, Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker. There's some cool stuff, but like I said, the only thing that really added much to it was, uh, the Knights of Ren. I mean, the rest of the stuff we kind of expected. Yeah. There are, I mean, there's like the, the new character reveal, the looks of those new characters, but yeah, like seeing Carrie Russell's outfit is cool. Seeing uh, Jaina's outfit is cool. Yeah, seeing I mean, that, those are cool, but nothing's really nothing like, really out yeah. out there that we didn't expect. There's nothing spoilery at all. Like, I mean, and, yeah, and that's the deal with like articles like this. Like people that get to go on set, they have to sign, they have to sign a contract with Disney and Lucasfilm that they're not going to reveal anything. NDAs. You know? Yeah, they they've got to sign things that won't allow them to spoil things yeah, so they have big big con- big boy contracts at disney yeah so when you when you go on set for disney and get photos like this and then come off set and write an article 90 percent of the time disney's probably going to be approving what goes in that article a hundred percent i mean if, if you are writing an article that has anything to do with disney and it is official you have to send it to Disney first. Yeah, like, I, I mean... Guarantee. And that's why, like, these articles are cool, these pictures are cool, but none of it's real spoilery, none of it's really a big deal. It's just cool yeah. to see, because, like I said uh, at the top of the segment, it just basically means that um, marketing's going to ramp up. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which is amazing, because we haven't, since the trailer, we've gotten, well, nothing until this... But um, Disney's been really focusing on Endgame, and now that Endgame is come and gone uh, and broken all kinds of box office records, which we may talk about that next time we're on, because Endgame was incredible. 
but now that Endgame is coming gone, they can kind of move on to their next big thing, which is Rise of Skywalker, uh, and they can spend yep. all summer and all fall marketing and uh, hopefully they do a better job marketing than they did with solo <laughs> because the solo marketing was i mean let's be honest it was bad. atrocious it was bad uh the release well, date I mean, also like, didn't help but when you come out with a movie and you're like i mean it could be better yeah like in yeah. that your marketing scheme it's yeah. like okay yeah so um again if you want to check out the vanity fair if you haven't seen it it's cool pictures no spoilers so if you want to go into the movie spoiler free, you can still read this article and get hyped for some of the marketing. Um, I would, I would argue. I mean, I would say not argue. I would say that like you're probably going to be spoiler free until um, I'd say at the earliest September or October. Yeah, and then at that there. point, like all of the quote unquote spoilers are going to be rumors. Yeah, that may or may not be true. Uh, but up until then. Th- Disney's not going to let anybody see it, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> so the, it's, you're just not going to have to really worry about spoilers outside of what Disney is going to show us. Yeah. So, uh, all right, guys. Well, that uh, that wraps up this episode of the Bye. Nerdcast. So, um, again, huge thanks uh, to uh, Hopeful Grounds for sponsoring this episode. Check them out, hopefulgroundscoffee.com. Um, big shout out to the Rogue's Den here in Harrison. And... Um, I think that's it. So uh, we'll see you guys in the next one. May the force be with you.